0: If you've bought property, you likely funded your purchase partly through a mortgage. If the property increases in value over time by more than the cost of the borrowing, you're better off. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder funds (ASX ticker symbols G two hundred and GHHF) offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses. So read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. Betashares Capital Limited is the issuer. This is a podcast by the Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only.
1: So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on
2: solely what you hear in this show.
1: Today, welcome to the Australian Property Podcast with me, Pete Borgent. I'm joined by Amy Lunardi, expert buyer's agent down in Melbourne today. Amy, great to have you on as always.
2: G'day, Pete. Good to be here.
1: So today we got a comment in the podcast, ratings and reviews from a reviewer called PD Pie high Now, I'm not sure if that's a uh, pun on my name or if that's somebody's <laughs> actual name, but let me read out the comment and we can address the review. So here's the comment. The basic information presented in the Australian Property Podcast is solid and informative. So far, so good. I'm liking that. Um, a lot of the stories and recommendations are a little naive in terms of discussing the types of properties that people can afford to buy, often recommending buying those quality, in commerce, properties, which are out of the reach for most normal Australians. More information, please, relevant to those low- to medium-income earners who can potentially only borrow up to five hundred six hundred thousand dollars or thereabouts. So I think that's a very valid comment, Amy. And I think um that's something that we can get stuck into today.
2: Absolutely valid comment, Pete, and we appreciate any kind of constructive feedback or criticism with the podcast because we are here to listen to what you want to hear about. And I, I think this is particularly relevant too because it is sort of further to our conversation we had in another episode, Pete, about what makes a Quality asset, what makes a quality property and is not just about how expensive it is or being in a blue chip suburb or the or or major capital city. What I define as being a quality property is one that fulfills that person's property brief. So when it comes to buying a home in particular, that's going to be completely different to buying an investment property. So when it comes to buying a home, what you're really focusing is on your personal fundamentals, your non-negotiables, your personal timelines. What does that property need to achieve for you? And then our job here as property professionals on the Australian Property Podcast is to identify things that could potentially compromise that property or potentially impact its resale or tenantability if you wanted to lease it out in the future. And our job is to then educate you on what the risks are and what the drawbacks could be. But ultimately, if that property fulfills your personal requirements and it's a home, that is the most important thing, as long as you acknowledge the other things.
1: That makes perfect sense. Now, I'm coming from some first-hand experience here because when I graduated, my first career job, in inverted commas, uh, training as a chartered accountant, I joined a mid-sized firm in Mayfair in London. So the West One Postcode, if you're not familiar, is effectively where properties are usually bought by Russian oligarchs or people from (laughs) Malaysia, plenty of money laundering goes on.
2: Oh, wow. (laughs) And look,
1: uh, that's fine. If you're Madonna or Guy Ritchie who can afford to drop 20 million on a Marylebone Muse house, uh, that's fantastic. But for the average person, uh, that's not an accessible housing market. Similarly, when I uh, first moved to Sydney, I lived in the eastern suburbs. And really, even as a higher income earner, uh, in that market, I was realistically buying a unit as a first. Place to live, and there was a stamp duty exemption for first home buyers in Australia back then. So, look, you know, si- similar challenge can't buy the place you want to live in. And then you've got a real uh, uh, sort of a decision to make, uh, particularly as you mentioned, as a home buyer, because you've got to basically buy something that fulfills your living needs for the foreseeable future.
2: That's absolutely right. So when when we're looking at purchasing a property, first of all, we need to understand any financial constraints. So whatever your budget is, whether it's $300,000 or six hundred dollars or $2 million, ultimately that's then a case of assessing, okay, well, this is my budget at the moment. Is that firstly going to be able to achieve what I want now? Am I going to be able to buy something where in a location that I want to live in? And that ticks my fundamentals is it's going to have enough bedrooms. If I've got two children, you know, I might need three bedrooms, et cetera. And if not, what are my alternative options? Or alternatively, do I think that my financial situation is potentially going to change in the near future? Because if it's not, then you'll have less flexibility around considering alternative options and you'll say, okay, well, I don't think I'm going to be able to borrow anything more anytime soon because I don't think that my income is going to change or my expenses are going to change. So in which case, assess my current strategy and say, what's the best option for me now? So if your budget is whatever it is, 400, 600, 800, whatever that is, where can I buy now? And will that fulfill my current goals? And if not, what are my alternatives? That is the best way to approach this.
1: That makes a lot of sense. But what about this question, Amy? So whether to buy ASAP or waiting until you can save a bit of a bigger deposit, potentially affording something bigger and better. Now, I guess when we're in a falling market or very soft market conditions where prices aren't rising, uh, that is something that people could look to do to save up a bit more, potentially buy a slightly better property maybe a better location or a bit more land size or whatever it may be or do you buy as soon as you can or do you wait until you can afford something a bit bigger and better I guess when the market's rising it can be a bit of uh, a bit of a false economy because if you end up paying more next month than the next month then um, obviously that's uh, going to be detrimental Um, but so does it depend on market conditions or is it just too difficult to time the market?
2: It can depend on market conditions if you feel like you're imminently being able to then change tact, but market conditions can change so quickly. So if you're currently reassessing your plans and saying, okay, well, I might wait another year because I think I can save up and then be able to buy a better property, a lot can change within a year. So that market could go up, that market could go down. So the best thing is to focus more on your own limitations and savings capacity. So for example, you might be able to save a bigger deposit. And in which case that's actually great because you're going to have a lower mortgage and lower uh, interest repayments, et cetera. However, you still need to speak to a mortgage broker because they might say, well, yes, you might be able to save a bigger deposit, but based on your income and based on your current debts, you might not necessarily be able to afford a much more expensive property. And in which case you might sit back and say, okay, well, if it's going to take me an extra one year or two years to save up an extra 10% deposit, or maybe get an extra 100 grand in borrowing capacity, am I prepared to wait that long? What could change in that meantime? Will that actually get me what I want? Or do I need to reframe what my strategy is because I'm still not quite at that level?
1: One of the related issues we've seen over the past year, actually, is that even for people who have managed to save a bigger deposit, uh, with interest rates and mortgage rates changing, people's borrowing capacity has actually gone down. So in that circumstance, actually waiting to save more hasn't really helped that much. Um, One of the oldest adages in real estate, Amy, famously is location, 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 I guess because... You can change many things about a property that you buy to live in, such as uh, the layout or the colour of the, you know, the decor or maybe kitchens, bathrooms, whatever. But the one thing you can never change is the location. It's 100% fixed in place. So do you think there's, um, if you're buying somewhere to live, is the location the first thing that you would look at? Um, for example, a busy road is presumably always going to be busy and that's that's just something that you can never fix.
2: Yeah. So. Location is definitely at the top of the priority list, but not necessarily at the sacrifice of lifestyle. And what I mean by that is if your budget is a certain amount, and that means you could either buy a townhouse in an inner suburb or a house in the outer suburbs, well, perhaps you'll get bigger land and more space in that house further out, but how will that impact your commute time to work? Will that isolate you from your friends and family? What Do, do you actually need that space or do you feel like you're, you've been told that you need that extra space because it might give you better growth in the long term? And I will say that that's not always the case. A house on a bigger piece of land doesn't always outperform something smaller in, for example, a really great, well-located townhouse Nearest a station in, an, in a suburb, sometimes those types of properties can outperform because those locations are better. So it's not always a case of saying buy land. And then it's not always a case of buying the best location because both of those options might not be suitable for you. It's re- assessing your own priorities and saying, what do I value? Where do I need to be based on my work, friends, family, amenity? How big of a property do I need? And then piecing all of that together and see what fits and seeing what works and you might have to change something.
1: Are there any um, risks involved in buying a lower priced property? Um, I guess um, with a view to the point that the reviewer made on the sort of quality properties in inverted commerce, I think if you look at um, the statistics, they'll probably tell you that at the premium end of the market in housing uh, prices are more volatile through the cycle, so they, they boom more during the boom periods and they fall more uh, during the downturns, uh, which I guess makes sense. You know, you've got things like um, uh, banker bonuses and borrowing capacity gets impacted through the ups and downs. But at, at the more budget end of the market, price growth tends to be more consistent, uh, but not necessarily worse. Uh, do you think there's any, any potential risks involved in the, the lower end of the market?
2: So let's approach this by considering whether it's a home or an investment property, because those are two very different things. When it comes to purchasing a home, you need to work around your own financial constraints and the lower price property you purchase, the lower mortgage you'll have. Um, You need to make sure that you're buying something where you can ensure that you can absorb future interest rate rises, that your proportion of your mortgage repayments is not too high. In comparison to your income and all of the other costs that you've had, you've still got savings left over and a buffer. So, all of those things need to really be based on your own income and your own comfort level around prices. That really needs to guide you in terms of how much you spend on that property. So, when it's a house, focusing on that first and foremost. However, when it's an investment property, this still does come into play because you will still have a certain budget that you might be constricted by. Then you have to take into consideration those cash flows. So how much rent is coming in, how much much are the expenses and how much you're having to contribute towards that property per month. And then that will then define at what price point you're considering, right? Okay. So assuming we've done all of that prior and then we've decided, well, based on my strategy, I'm probably going to be considering a relatively lower priced property. What does that look like? And what does that mean to me? And that might be a case of going into a regional area. That might be a case of going into an area with a smaller population and or a lower income point. And if you're buying in those areas, then you need to say, okay, well, what are the risks or drawbacks here? Does that then potentially mean that my capital growth prospects are limited, Because in those areas, if you don't have the populations or incomes, what will be driving up those prices? And then what do those tenant demographics look like? Who's going to be renting that property? How much can they afford? What are the risks around leasing in that particular location? And that might be having a chat to local property managers or agents. So certainly there are drawbacks to purchasing investment properties at lower price points.
1: You made some really good points there. I think you're right. It's very different Uh, building a property portfolio as an investor, different considerations. I I think there's no sort of right or wrong way to do this. I'll give you two different examples. My work colleague, Andrew, he's got his place of residence where he lives in Brisbane. He's got what I would almost describe as the perfect property portfolio. He's got houses in blue chip suburbs, Melbourne, Brisbane, and Perth. Uh, It's a perfectly clean portfolio, no sort of dog investments very little admin. (laughs) It's uh, just a really, you know, very clean, just high quality investments. Quality
2: over quantity in that case.
1: Exactly. Yes. Because I think that's the thing. People can get too hung up on how many properties they own. Whereas really the important thing is, you know, what kind of returns are you making on the investment, um, as well as all of those other potential issues that you you raised just before. By uh, virtue of looking at it from a different way, see, I started off in Sydney, I bought a place to live in and then I bought a place jointly with my partner. But then because we went self-employed at an earlier stage in our journey, often we couldn't afford um, sort of blue chip suburbs and houses. And so we've ended up with bits and pieces all over the place, Um, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, but also overseas in the UK, we've got agricultural property. So I mean, there's a lot more admin involved, but the results have been good. Um, But there's, I guess, there's pros and cons to doing it differently. So I think um, you know we could look at some of the benefits and disadvantages of the lower price points. I think on the plus side, um, diversification—you can spread your risk around a bit more. Potentially, the rental yields could be a bit higher if you're buying in those sort of uh, lower or median uh, price points. Um, And I think for people who are rent investing, i.e., they're renting where they live and they want to get a spread of portfolio. That that can make a bit of sense. But I guess as you mentioned, there could be some disadvantages as well.
2: Yeah. Ultimately when you're purchasing an investment property, you can consider almost this spectrum in that you're at the bottom end of the spectrum, you might have a property with quite high yield but low growth potential. And at the other end of the spectrum, it is a high growth property. With a low yield. And really, what that means is the stronger growth properties, as a very general rule of thumb, will cost you more out of pocket per month. And in which case, you need to actually achieve that growth to make up for the fact that you're on that you're actually contributing money towards that. So if that investment property is costing you 10, 20 plus thousand dollars a year, you want to be making that back and some. Versus at the other end of the scale, investors are attracted to those options because they are more cash flow type of properties. They can be putting money into your pocket, maybe not at the start, but maybe in time once those rents increase or you've paid down that mortgage a little bit, and that's putting money into your pocket. So you need to really figure out as an investor, well, where do you sit on that spectrum? Are you at one end? Are you at the other end? You might be halfway between. And your budget and your cash flows and your future goals will determine that. You might be in a position also where you've spoken to a financial planner and you've decided, well, my goal is to build up a portfolio over time. How do I do that? And is that going to be a case of, well, I actually have to buy properties with a higher yield because I don't have the income servicing to purchase properties which are strongly negatively geared. So having that longer term plan in place is quite important as well.
1: That's very well explained. I think, yeah, some of the potential disadvantages, if you go too far down the price points, um, I mean, more administration by owning more properties for one thing, but uh, potentially things like repairs or tenant issues and vacancies. I think, uh, for example, if you buy a very cheap property, it's still going to cost you the same amount to get a plumber or a tradie or a sparky to come out and visit the property. And it can actually start to eat away at that potentially higher rental yield. So I think if you're considering buying uh, an investment property in a lower price point, I think just make just make sure you've considered a lot of the fundamentals, things like access to public transport, access to amenities, you ideally want a place to be improving or gentrifying. And I think a, a lot of the other sort of box ticking uh, exercises that people go through, you want to look at things like the school catchment, you know, how many people are renting in the area, is the population growing? What's the housing supply like? Um, so it's not to say don't do it, but you just got to be careful that you're not buying something just because it's cheaper. Um, you actually want something to have solid fundamentals for the long term as well.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. And that really comes back to, well, what's what's the definition of quality here? So we start off with saying, okay, well, look, looking at that, investing funnel. We've decided to invest in property. We've figured out what our brief is, our budget, our cash flows, et cetera. And we've started to hone in on the right locations and the types of properties that fulfill that brief. Well, then how do we get the best quality property based on those metrics? And that is where, like you've just said, Pete, focusing on the more micro aspects of what is making that location appealing and what is making that particular type of property appealing understanding the local demographics what do they want why do they how do they live their lives in that particular area because that will also help you attract tenants and that will help you when you sell that property in the future understanding why people are moving there and why they are wanting to live in that particular property and then it can also help you help guide you in terms of any kind of improvements you want to do to that property in the future too. And those can sometimes increase your rental yield and certainly broaden your resale potential in the future. So quality isn't just a case of the more you spend, the better quality you get. Yes, in theory, you can get into a better suburb and or a bigger property, but quality can be assessed on so many different levels. Making sure that that property is the right one for you is the most important factor here and then making sure it's the best property within that particular strategy by doing all of those extra due diligence checks.
1: Thanks, Amy. These are brilliant insights. Now, do you have an example or a client or case study you can tell us about and to illustrate?
2: So one that's quite meaningful for me is using my mum as an example. So my mum is not a high income earner by any means, although what I will say is that she did have some equity in her home When we decided to buy an investment property for her and I'm mindful that not everyone will have equity in a property they can leverage on but mum was getting closer to retirement and didn't have a lot of assets in her name and the strategy for her which we implemented was using some equity from her property to then purchase some regional properties which had stronger yields which meant that she didn't actually have to contribute much money towards those properties each month because she couldn't she wasn't in a financial position to do that so we found some options there was one in Ballarat and then one in later on in Geelong which gave her the ability to invest in property it gave her the ability to hold on to those properties without impacting her current lifestyle or her savings and it also allowed her to then have these properties which weren't strong growth properties by all means. In some years, they didn't do much at all. But over time, and this is the thing when it comes to especially purchasing properties at lower price points or high yields, time is your friend. Time is really, really important. So over the last seven or eight years, those properties have grown in value. And now at a point where she is getting closer to retirement, she's able to then sell those properties. And those have added a big boost to her Retirement savings, which she absolutely wouldn't have had before. But we still made sure that the fundamentals of those locations were there and the growth drivers were there. And they weren't by all means going to outperform Melbourne Metro, but Mum couldn't afford to buy in Melbourne Metro. So that's just an example of assessing that strategy, but just understanding that you do need time on your side and focusing on the much longer term if you're buying at the lower price points and you do want to gain some capital growth out of those properties, not just cash flow.
1: Thanks, Amy. That's a brilliant and uh, very personal example. And thank you for sharing. So to recap on some of these um, excellent insights then. So I think, um, as you've explained very well, there's no real right or wrong way to do property. It's a very personal uh, journey that everybody goes on. Um, As you mentioned, time tends to be your friend. Um, And I think when it comes to buying a place of residence, you know, quality property in inverted commerce is really just one that fulfills your brief, your living needs for the coming years. With regards to that question, whether to buy ASAP or just wait until you can afford something bigger and better. Well, I think to some degree, it probably depends on market conditions. But you do also need to be aware of what might happen to your borrowing capacity over the next year or two. And I've seen a lot of people trying to fine tune hitting the bottom of the market Missing it and then just being completely um, stuck and undecided as to what to do. So probably don't try to be too cute in terms of market timing. And as you mentioned, I think for investors, it's a different uh, proposition, really. It's usually a good time to buy somewhere around the country because we have different cycles in Australia. And it really just comes down to your budget. What can can you afford, as you mentioned, and what can you actually comfortably manage from a cash flow perspective? And as you said, long-term investing tends to deliver the best results.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Pete. And ultimately, you need to focus on yourself, your own strategy. What are you trying to achieve? What are your financial constraints? What are your cash flow constraints? And then finding a property and finding a location that fulfills those requirements, not the other way around.
1: Fabulous. So uh, to the uh, person who made the comment, Petey Paihai, um, hopefully that's answered some of your question, we'll certainly try to bear in mind what you've said there. So, looking forward, uh, when we talk about quality property, it's really it's different depending on your personal circumstances and what what you can afford, what your budget is. Uh, but it's not to say uh, that people can't succeed in property on a lower or middle income, uh, because there are many many examples of people having done so. And usually, it comes with uh, time some good decision making uh, processes and just letting uh, the market do a lot of the heavy lifting for you over the long term. Now, um, Amy, if people want to get in contact with you to ask any further questions, uh, where can they go?
2: Yep, so they can reach me at amylinardi.com.au.
1: And we'd love to get your questions and comments on the show. Uh, It gives us ideas for what to cover uh, because, in the end, it's for you as the listener um, that we provide the content. So do leave us any comments or questions that you'd like us to cover and would be delighted to do so. If you want to catch up with me, Pete Warden Blogspot is my daily blog or at Pete Warden's on Twitter or most other parts of the interweb. Um, Thank you, Amy, so much. It's always great to get your expert uh, insights into the market and look forward to catching up again soon.
2: Same for you. Thanks, Pete. Cheers. Thanks for
1: tuning into the Australian Property
0: Podcast.